everybody. Get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David Nikki Nellis, a foodie born and bred. My wife, Nikki, loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband, David, thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20, because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway, and together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis on this lovely weekend here in D.C. It's Pride Month, and uh, we are proud to be allies of the human rights campaign and of all our LGBTQ plus buddies out there in the D.C. area. Nikki, you want to update folks on what's going on in that regard and with the restaurants around town? Absolutely. Well, first of all, uh, Sunday today is National Rosé Day. Um, I'd like to say I thought that, every day was National Rosé Day. No, every day should be National Rosé Day, but it is, and there is so much fabulous rosé being poured all around the city, and it just happens to coincide with Pride Month, with uh, restaurants all around the city doing Pride brunches. Uh, there are drag brunches and brunches just raising funds for all these terrific organizations uh, that celebrate the LGBTQ in your life. So please uh, participate, go to the list or you want it .com, uh, my online museum that lists everything going on all around the DC metro area. And I do kind of want to throw out there next week is Father's Day. Don't forget to get something for that. I, I get one lousy day a year. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. So I wouldn't complain if I were you. Uh, lots of delicious ways to treat dad this year and they're all on the list are you on it.com. Don't forget also restaurants are reopened. Yay! The DC metro area. Lots of delicious ways to eat around the city. But remember, there is an employee crunch. So not everybody, just because they're allowed to be at 100% doesn't mean they are at 100%. Be kind, be patient. It will all come back in time. Okay, David, back to you. All right. Well, for everyone's uh, edification out there, all I really want for Father's Day is a foot massage, which I'll never get. So okay. not on. at home. Anyway. How about we move on? All right. We got a great show. We're going to be talking to Deb Moser from Central Farm Markets and find out what's happening there. Uh, this next segment will be great. Prime Roots is a woman-led alternative meat company out of Berkeley, where radical ideas come from <laughs> traditionally. Uh, the company is reimagining meat uh, and serving up options that can be delivered right to your door to make it easier to eat less meat. Uh, founder Kim Lee joins us shortly. Whist is a DC-based bakery founded about 10 years ago by a former food blogger. Her name is Jenna Huntsberger, and she got into baking and suddenly opened a store and she's been around 10 years, which is most small businesses don't survive. So that's a great survival story. We'll talk to her. Uh, Bill Welch is the executive chef at Salamander Resort and Spa in Middleburg. He joins us later in the show to talk about a raft of summer activities they have going on out there. And in Spanish, El Cielo means heaven. And from what Nick and I have seen and tasted at that restaurant uh, at Union Market, uh, the new El Cielo is, there is just it, it totally lives up to its name. Uh, their chef, uh, Juan Manuel Barrientos, is set to talk to us about the restaurant and its freshly minted Michelin star. So we'll be doing that. But first, let's talk to Deb Moser. Deb, I'm just, I just, this just came to me. I, I think you probably want to talk about cherries at the market, mm -hmm. right? Yes, it's How cherry did I know? season. It is cherry season. It's berry season. It's everything delicious and sweet. But this is the first of the stone fruit to come in. And we've got a big bowl full of cherries for you. Shall I say? Okay. So no, please don't. So Deb, um, are cherries always the first stone fruit to come every year? 
Uh, pretty much cherries, apricots, um, they will be in next week. And, uh -huh. you know, it's iffy. The weather can really affect. If you have too much rain, things like cherries and apricots are not going to do well. If you have a first frost, when the apricots bud, they won't come in. So some years we don't have anything. Some years we have bad crops. This year, it looks like a bumper crop of, of cherries. It mm -hmm. looks like great apricots. And uh, we're just really excited. Where are they all coming from? Where are the farms? So this, these, the cherries that are in, and there are flats and flats and flats of them. So get there and get yours. Um, they're coming from Pennsylvania. Okay. Right so, over the border. Yeah. So, Deb, every year, there's oh, like the foodie community gets all crazy about sour cherries. Right. So is it? sour cherry season. I love cherries. I like the sweet cherries. I know bakers and stuff love those sour cherries. Is it sour cherry season too? It, it will be next. The first okay. are the sweet, the dark ones, the sweet, juicy ones, oh, and then sour those. cherries. And if you're a sour cherry fan, which I am, uh, I just eat them right out of the box. You know, some people like them for baking. Some mm -hmm. people just like me. Eat them out of the box. So what but, is the difference? What is it? What is the different? What What are the status? Like why? Well, the, sour the, the, the sour cherries are redder. They're smaller okay. and they are sour and they have a tang to them. Whereas the the regular cherries are deep sweet. and they're sweet. They're really good. And they, do, yeah. you know, cherry season doesn't last long. So you want to enjoy them while they're here. All of these beautiful fruits and berries that start to come in late spring. They're here for a fleeting moment and then they go. But you know, that, uh, I'd like to add that we are here for a fleeting moment too. That is true. That is true. <laughs> Except, Some of us more fleeting than others. That's tell right. Us, Steph, tell us where we can find all the Central Farm Markets during the weekend. Go online. It's centralfarmmarkets.com. Our locations, hours are there. And we hope you'll come visit us and welcome everybody. Excellent. All right. All right. Thank well, you so, so much. I, I was out with my team uh, a couple of days ago for lunch and I had a plant-based burger and I'm a meat guy or I was brought up, you know, it was meat and potatoes when, when I was growing up, but I swear to God, you know, it, you can't tell the difference anymore. And I had the plant-based burger and I had my fries and I had my coleslaw and all that. And it was spectacular. It was a delicious meal. And Kim Lee is on the phone with us. She founded Prime Roots, which is an alternative meat company, as I mentioned, uh, out in California. Kim, welcome to the show. Hi, Nikki. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. Hi, Kim. So, you know, listen, there is a lot of chatter out there. Um, we've had quite, you know, a lot of people in this new plant-based industry on the show over, you know, the last several years. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into this business. So I grew up in a very foodie family. Um, my mom's a professional chef, and so I grew up in her kitchens and of learning the art and as well as the science of how food comes to be. Mm -hmm. um, I went off to college, um, which brought me to uh, the Bay Area, to Berkeley. Um, and I learned a lot about the problems of animal agriculture and how it the, the meat that we eat contributes more greenhouse gases than all of the cars, planes, trucks, like all the transportation, um, both commercial and household combined which was crazy because I love meat. I still love meat. I still eat meat. Um, but uh, I consider myself a flexitarian, someone who is reducing their meat consumption. Um, and it, it was insane to me how like this one thing that we did every single day, uh, sometimes three times a day, um, having meat was so destructive to our planet. And as someone who is 
very, very passionate about leaving the world better off than we found it and not handing our children and future generations um, a world where, you know, the coral reefs are all, all bleached and the mountains right. don't have snow. Um, I felt like it was my responsibility. Um, and it, I think it's all of our responsibility to do what we can. Amen. So, and I love your enthusiasm and we are behind you 100%. How did you form Prime Roots? So when I went to Berkeley, um, I studied microbiology and I was really fascinated about um, really the science behind uh, food and how food comes to be. Um, and as I was doing that, I actually realized that um, you can use um, better materials and, and better ways of making food that people aren't really looking into. And so what that means for us at Prime Roots is using koji, which is the Japanese fungi. Um, it's been used for tens of thousands of years to make foods that we know and love, like miso, like soy sauce. And it really gives, um, so the koji itself um, is the fungi that ferments um, a lot of different things like soy. Um, what we do is we actually reimagine how you can use koji. Um, and so we just grow the koji itself. So it's soy free um, and it's gluten free so it, for those who care. Is, mm -hmm. is koji, is it a mushroom or is it an actual, like what is it? So koji is not technically a mushroom, but I'd say it's like related to mushrooms. Mm -hmm. um, I know there's been a lot out there talking about fungi and mycelium. What we grow um, is the koji mycelium, which I really like, if you, if you want to visualize it, it's like the roots of mushrooms. And so it, in terms of what it looks like, like people always ask me that, um, if you take chicken breast um, and you tear it apart and you see those fibers, that's kind of what koji looks like. Um, so you can actually see it and you can taste it and it tastes like, um, this really umami, um, it's just really umami. And that's a key component to what makes meat meat is mm -hmm. a very like savory, rich taste. And then how do you, because one of the things we've talked about on air, especially when it comes to these uh, plant-based alternatives is the manipulation, right? Cause like one of the things that we hear a lot about is not eating processed foods. And so um, we've had people say back to us, like, yeah, this, it may be a little bit processed, but it's so much better than anything you could do. And it's better than eating meat. So how, what do you do with the Koji to help to create the different products? Because you have a lot of SKUs. You're doing a lot of different things. Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of it. We can use Koji to make any type of meat and any type of seafood. Um, and a lot of people are worried about, you know, how processed a lot of plant-based meats are, myself included, which is partially why I started Prime Roots is to do something different. And so Koji is a whole food protein. Um, Koji does the majority of the heavy lifting for us in the sense that it actually provides the texture of meat. So um, microscopically, like it is the same texture as meat muscle fibers. So you actually get that mouthfeel that you're looking for. You get the taste, which is the umami that you're craving and looking for in meat, um, which is what makes it so special. Um, yes, we make you know everything from bacon to lobster, all with the koji. Um, and it's you know we've spent three, four years really just working on koji and how to turn it into meat, and really, really going against the grain of what's in the plant-based industry today, which is using ultra-processed um, plant-based proteins. 
we Can don't I've do got that. a question just about because because I mean the the texture and the taste are key obviously to succeeding here. Um, everybody, you know, the, the, we keep hearing about burgers. Is are there any other sort of meat like products that get made? I mean, I see that you're you're working on poultry you're too. Lobster. Did you? No, 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 no. I'm talking about meat specifically. In other words, everybody's churning out burgers. Are there? I mean, mm -hmm. have you come up with a koji steak? <laughs> <laughs> I think we have even better. We have a koji bacon. <laughs> um, people love bacon. The world loves bacon. All right. Um, yeah. And so does it, since we haven't had a chance to see the product, like, can you talk us, I love that you did bacon and I love that you did lobster because I think for the oh, people yeah. in the foodie community, those are things that are like, oh, I couldn't live without bacon or I couldn't live without, you know, lobster. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about what they look like and and how people can use like can they just use them as they would those products 100 percent. and our bacon you can actually cook it crispy or chewy however you like to cook bacon which is one of my favorite things about the product is that it's it's made for meat eaters like myself like i i crave our bacon um and it is that good um I mean, yes you use it however you like it's really meant to be um, as close as possible, like the way that you know and love your bacon, um, mm -hmm. that's how Primary's bacon is. Um, it, it's supposed to be familiar, comforting, and um, we have we have flavors of bacon. So whatever mood you're in, we also have you there. Okay, on that note, before we hit the lobster, we have to take a quick break. Um, so when we come back, I want to get into that. Um, this is David and Nikki Nellis on Foodie and the Beast. We are talking about ways to really help the environment and the climate and um and still, and still eat enjoy eating <laughs> all right we're back on foodie and the beast with david and nikki nellis we're talking to kim lee uh kim i mean the the reason for eating alternative meats um and taking a burden off the environment of course you know makes all the sense in the world but what are you doing to sort of encourage people to taste test are you i mean are, do you do i go into a whole foods and will i see somebody standing there with with samples or, I mean, how are you proselytizing? So right now um, we are available nationwide online um, from our website, primeroots.com. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the only way you can find us. Um, and that lets you, know, you um, and anyone in our community, anyone that wants to try our product, um, they can come directly to us. I'm already on your site uh, ordering, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, so we actually make the product ourselves. So it's really kind of farm to table in the sense that you're getting food from your producer. And I think that especially with plant-based products where there's a lot of potential questions, a lot of people worry about, you know, how to cook it. Um, you know, we want to be there. And so if anyone has any questions, they can message us and we'll get that. Um, and if anybody has like ideas for products that they're really craving, that they want plant-based, like we're also there. So what we're really, um, we're really passionate about is building a community of foodies, flexitarians, omnivores, you know, meat lovers, plant lovers, really bringing people around plant-based um, and, you know, celebrating plant-based meats and celebrating plant-based. Um, and it really doesn't have to be an all or nothing. Like I run a plant-based company and I still occasionally eat meat. Um, and, you know, one day, uh, once we make all of the products, uh, all of my favorite products meat-free, um, I'm sure I can be you know, more plant-based, but it's really not about being all or nothing. And I think that's something that we want to 
um, really, really rally behind. Um, and we want to really celebrate is plant-based, not 100% plant-based. Well, I think that's a very unique position to hear because there's a lot of pick a team. There's a lot of all or nothing. And um, I, I like the way you go about it um, because I, I think for some people who appreciate what eating less meat uh, does, there there's a they don't want to give it up entirely. Um, you know, like I'm sure you know what's going on at 11 Madison in New York. They've gone entirely vegan. And, um, you know, I just, I think there's a lot of interesting conversations out there and it doesn't have to be all or nothing. And your products sound amazing. We cannot wait to try them. Um, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Can you just tell everybody, please, where they can find Prime Roots online and on social? So Prime Roots products can all be found and purchased online and delivered direct to your door um, at www.primeroots.com. Um, and on social, um, on Instagram, we're at Prime Roots, on Facebook at Prime Roots Foods. And if you Google our Facebook group, um, it's called I Can't Believe It's Not Meat. Um, it's, it's a really fun community where people post lots of meat, meaty finds are obviously plant-based. Um, and, you know, you can trust that we'll deliver a great experience if you're a meat lover or a plant lover, um, because we're made um, for us. Excellent. Thank you so Wait, much. I have to just say, I just joined Kim's um, Prime Roots uh, uh, community online, and my uh, my plant-based bacon mac and cheese horoscope says that I avoid making stupid decisions, which my wife would definitely disagree with. So yes. thanks, Kim, for that. <laughs> thanks, Kim. Thank you. The next guest, our next guest started baking, uh, I guess, as a hobby and turned it into a lifetime pursuit and a fabulous bakery here in D.C. that was founded a decade ago. She's Jenna Huntsberger, and she is the founder and baker, chief head baker at Whisked here in D.C. Hi, Jenna. Hey, Jenna. How did that happen? And very organically. Um, so I got my start in food because I was a food blogger, um, and I was really passionate about baking and pastry and ended up quitting my nonprofit job that I, you know, I moved to D.C. to work in the nonprofit sector and then really wanted to, you know, follow my dreams of becoming a professional baker. And um, I, I quit my nonprofit job to go into the food industry. And then about a year later, I um, heard through a food blogger that the owner of the 14th and New Farmers Market was having a really hard time finding bakers to sell at her market stand. And so that kind of launched this business. Um, but how did you, I mean, it's really hard to go from, you know, making a couple of cookies in your kitchen mm -hmm. to scaling up. Yeah. So how did you figure that part out? Was it a lot of trial and error? Was there something, was there something that you were already baking at home that you were like, I don't see this anywhere? Like, how did you come up with all of that? It, so we've been doing this for 10 years, right? So it just happened sort of step-by-step step over the 10 years, you know? So for instance, we brought all this stuff to our first farmer's market, but people really loved the pies and really loved the cookies. And that has like grown into our big wholesale line, right? So mm -hmm. like, Part of that was developed through customer feedback um, in terms of like scaling, like coming from, you know, baking a lot of stuff out of my home kitchen to working in union kitchen to now like having our own manufacturing facility in, in Maryland, like that took a lot of trial and error and patience and, you know, talking to other bakers about how do you make a lot of cookies, you know, right, scaling up. It was hard. It was really hard. Don't you, know? you need a lot of equipment too? 
the, yes and no. Like the big piece of equipment we got that was really game changing for us is a depositor. So we went from hand scooping, you know, maybe 5,000 cookies a week wow. to took hours and like gave all my poor workers like horrible carpal tunnel syndrome um, to having a machine that does it for us. Um, and so, you know, we were able to go from, you know, doing 5,000 cookies, it took us forever to, to doing that in a day. Um, and I found out about that piece of equipment because I shared a kitchen with another baker who was like, hey, I used to work at, I think, Uptown Bakers. Mm-hmm. I- Thing called a depositor and you need that because your employees are dying hand scooping all these cookies you know um so it, it is it's a lot of talking to other people you know and it's it's hard too because big 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 manufacturing companies their processes will never touch the product you know like their cookies are never touched by a human hand and you can really lose a lot of the quality in your baked goods when you're like that big. So when you're a small manufacturer, a local manufacturer, and you really want to keep the product quality high, there's no like turnkey solution for scaling up your operations. It really is like trial and error. And so uh, how long did all this take? I mean, you're cooking, you know, you're baking for uh, farmer's markets, then you open a retail store. That was the, the plan at the beginning. Everybody thought we were going to open a retail store. And um, what held me back from that is that we had all these wholesale accounts. You know, we were selling at places like Pleasant Pops and Glen's Garden Market, and we started selling at Whole Foods in 2015. And so I would go out with my realtor to look at these retail spaces, and I was like, you know, we need a couple, two, three thousand square feet of production space in the back to meet our wholesale demand. Right. And retail prices with with you know. The math with- doesn't work. No. So the. Um, so I really kind of gave up on that idea in, I would say, 2015 and 2016 and was like, look, we are going to sell to grocery stores. That's working really well. People mm-hmm. love our cookies and I'm going to focus on that. And that decision making really allowed us to grow a lot because we were more focused. After. Well, then talk about how you went and got into the stores because, you know, people wonder, they, oh, there are always those stories about, oh, I baked or I made something and took it into Whole Foods and now I'm a multimillionaire driving a Lamborghini. But um, no, no, there's no stories like that. That's yes, not, there are. Yes, there no, are. Not. There's nobody driving a Lamborghini because they sold their product at home. <clears throat> yes, there are. Sally <laughs> May. Not uh-huh. Sally May. Whatever is it? Uh, Tessa May? Tessa May. Yeah, I think that guy had some money going no, in. No, no. But yeah. anyways, my point is you got to be, it's, 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 it's grassroots marketing. You had to go and knock on doors and give out samples. Yeah. Well, you know, the first stores that we got into were people who I was friends with. Like I knew the guys from Pleasant Pops because we were both in the food, food scene and they were like, we really want to sell your pies at our farm store stand. And then we started selling the pies. Like a lot of people knew us from the farmer's market and wanted us to go into places like Glen's Garden Market. Um, you know, I made a lot. Well, of- don't you sort of feel that you came up at a time? Like I think about all the people who started in farmer's markets, mm-hmm. right? Like we just had Deb Moser on from Central Farm Markets. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like all the people who are at Central Farm Markets are like, you know, think of call your mother bagels. Think about all the people who started in these farmer's markets. And that's how you all knew each other. And as everybody grew, they're like, oh, I'm going to take you with me. You know, Glen's Garden Market her whole point was Danielle was like, I want local products here. So I just, you know, you sort of all grew up together with this way of maintaining relationships with everyone. 
Absolutely. You know, the, the local food community here and the producer community is super, super um, supportive of each other. Mm-hmm. We got into Yes Organic Market because I knew the baker who baked the Blind Dog cookies at Blind Dog Cafe that, you know, is connected to the Union Kitchen founders. Right. She's a friend. And she was like, I know the buyer there. I'm going to give you his email. And then we got into seven stores, you know. Amazing. Wow. But so it, now after 10 years, Mm-hmm. Are there products that you look back over the last 10 years and you're like, oh, I wish I wish we could bring that one back or this is what I I want to launch this. Are there things that you did that you wish you could bring back or are there ones that you miss? Oh, man. I mean, we made really good bars and brownies, but I got to say, I do not miss making or cutting those. Right. <laughs> You know, like I think the stuff that was really good and the stuff that resonated with consumers and sold well, like that's the stuff that's still on our menu, you know, Mm -hmm. and it it doesn't feel good. We used to make more like creative pie flavors, like we change the pie flavors all the time, but they just didn't sell very well because everybody wants an apple pie. And so it doesn't feel good as an owner when you're like, I put all this work into a product and then nobody wants to buy it. So now that's our good stuff. So one last question. What about stability? Because, you know, there's a big difference between baking it and bringing it to the farmer's market and now selling it at Whole Foods. How was that process for you? Because I know that it's it's a difficult one. Oh, it was so hard. I mean, we worked on that for years, you know, so our cookies have a two week shelf life um, and we had to do a lot of like tiny, tiny, tiny tweaks to the formula to get it to last that long. Lots Mm -hmm. of testing. We started at Whole Foods with a one-week shelf life, and like that was super, super hard for them. Um, and I we bet. were able to expand with them until we did the work on our end to make sure that you know you're making the product easier for them to sell. You know, it's a relationship with these stores. Uh-huh. So it's just it, it it was nothing overnight. You know, I talked to lots of food scientists who gave me ideas, but like it's just tiny, tiny, tiny little tweaks until all of a sudden you're like, Hey, I have a lemon coconut pie and it's great after two weeks. And I feel very comfortable giving it that shelf life. Wow. That's amazing. Jenna, congratulations on all your success. I mean, baking is a hard, hard business. Um, and we applaud all your success. You've been, you're like a real shining star for the DC, uh, creators. So um, thanks for joining us today. Tell everybody where they can find you. Yes. So you can purchase our products at local Whole Foods, uh, Yes Organic Market, Mom's Organic Market. We also ship nationwide through our website at whiskeyc.com. Excellent. Thanks, Jenna. It's an empire. Okay. This is David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We have to take a break, but we'll be back with more deliciousness in just a minute. All right. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. And our next guest is Chef Bill Welch. Chef Bill is the executive chef at Salamander Resort and Spa. And, you know, over the years, going back to when uh, Sheila Johnson first opened Salamander, uh, we've had folks on from the resort and uh, from the market that's out in Middleburg, where Nikki and I sealed our love many years ago, almost 25 years ago. Do you remember? Yeah, I don't remember sealing it. Yeah, you said I might marry you. So, okay. Anyways, uh, (laughs) Chef Bill's here. He's got a ton of stuff going on out there. But we really want to start, Chef, with kind of your background and how you got from there to here. I know you went to the CIA, but... uh, How about letting him talk? Oh, I'll let you talk. 
Fantastic. Good morning, everyone. Uh, happy to be here. Yeah, I went to CIA almost 20 years ago now, which is crazy. Um, in about a month, I'll actually be graduating again with my master's degree uh, in food business. So that's fun. I've been doing that for, for two years on top of, you know, moving up here to Virginia and joining the Salamander team, which I'm super excited about. So um, long story short, I guess I've, uh, I started washing dishes when I was 13 and kind of climbed the ladder and found the kitchen for all the fun that it is and decided to go to CIA and was fortunate enough to land at a five-star property on Cape Cod where I worked for about six years and then uh, made the leap. I moved down to Georgia uh, to the Sea Island Resort, um, which has, I think for the last 13 or 14 years, has five four-star or four five-star awards, a little right. backwards there. Um, and so I was there for 10 years. I was the executive chef of all of the hotels in various stints. The events department uh, opened their Italian restaurant, the whole nine yards. So it was a really great little kind of incubator for me. I got to move around property and, and have a new job every year and a half to two years without moving across the country. Um, and then I had kind of done everything I felt that I could do down there and started looking for, for other opportunities and uh, found the salamander. Um, CIA connection, Chef Jason, our executive pastry chef, and I were roommates in, in college 20 years ago. Um, and so I've kind of been following along with Salamander for, for the last 10 years or so um, and watching what he's doing and, and seeing how the resort has grown and, and all of those things. So I, uh, I feel very fortunate to have joined this team. Um, I, I wanted to just ask you, Bill, um, you know, you're, you're an interesting chef specimen because, you know, a lot of chefs that we talk to always want to like go out on their own and open their own place, but you've um, been on a path that has kept you in very large resorts, which has given you the opportunity to probably experiment and cook lots of cuisines, but you work on a very large level. And that's yeah. very different than probably 80% of your brethren, right? Like most people are, are not doing things on the, the size and scale that you are. So what about that is really attractive to you because working at a resort is is an incredible undertaking between room service restaurants events etc like there's there's a lot under your purview yes ma'am i mean there there's a ton and i think that's that's one of the reasons that i like it uh as much as i do i think that's kind of helped me harness my own inner add uh if you will is there there's always something <laughs> happening and and that kind of keeps me engaged and and doesn't give me time to go out and, and do anything else. But I mean, I've got, I've got two kids and I keep all those balls juggling. And so it's, I mean, it's a lot of fun. Um, I love the resorts. I've, I've found that, you know, since I was an extern um, and I just kind of, I picked that path and stuck to it. And, you know, so we're, we're very fortunate to be in some of these really beautiful, amazing spaces. And I've visited more places because of access to these resorts. than I, you know, ever thought that I ever would in my life. And so I think that's, that's a really fun part of, of the resort. And then, you know, building teams of people um, and meeting different people, watching them grow, you know what I mean? And, and seeing how they can kind of progress um, through the industry um, is also a really fun part of, of well, working that in resorts. That was a really good answer. Probably the best part was when you said, yes, ma'am, because Nikki loves that. I have to say that too. <laughs> um, but I, my, my question is, you know, when, like when, when I get a new employee, often you'll get somebody who comes in and because they're replacing somebody else, they feel it's important to, to let people know that the, the their predecessor just you know didn't have it quite right. So how do you come into a property and take over a team and put your stamp on it um, without dissing your predecessor and without having to go through that whole uh, love dance? I think you start at the bottom, and I mean everybody has their own successes and their own failures. And I think that's, that's important to recognize. So when you're, you're coming in after somebody else, it's, 
you're just kind of picking up that torch and, and continuing on. And, you know, I, I was given the opportunity to, to put my own spin on this and, you know, kind of build this team. And so we're my one year anniversary was literally like three days ago. Um, so we're, we're one year into that. And I think we're, we're re really doing an awesome job. We've seen a lot of really great guest feedback and, and things like that. So, um, you know, I'm super proud of the team and, and what everybody's accomplished in the last year and, and looking forward to the next. But what did you bring to it? What are you doing differently? Yeah, tell us, I mean, for people who haven't had the opportunity to get out to the property, given COVID and et cetera, what, what are some of the changes that we can look forward to? Just really focusing on the basics. I mean, when I got up here, I was kind of enthralled by the the scenery out here in the countryside. I mean, I spent the last 10 years on an island, so we didn't have a ton of farms. And I certainly wasn't driving by cows and horses and all of those things every day on my way to work. And so it's it's been really amazing to, to get out here and, and have access to a true farm to table um, type of experience. And, and all you know, the I great that, wine. You have such great wine. So close 100 percent. And so I've, you know, I think I spent the first 90 days that I was here every Tuesday, I was going to a different winery or brewery or farm or, you know, all that. I took my kids over to Great Country Farms last week and we went strawberry picking. And, you know, so I think, you know, just really getting into it and, and embracing the area and the region and trying to bring as much of that to the plate as we can and, um, you know, tell the story of this space. I think there, there's a ton here and then we're just barely scratching the surface, um, but really focusing on the basics and the fundamentals of cooking um, and, and not trying to overreach if you will and you know i think most guests especially in a resort setting that's that's what they're looking for but then you know we take places like the culinary garden which we're super fortunate to have you know we can go down there every single day and cut herbs for dinner service and, and this is the first property i've worked at that i've been able to do things like that so we're doing you know chef's tables down there where we can kind of flex our muscles a little bit and do a 10 course tasting menu under the trellis as the sun's setting and you know create some of those little uh, vignettes if you will around property outdoors that sounds like fun that i'm, I'm gonna go warm up the car now okay <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did i read right you're also like bringing area chefs out are you, are you doing specialty dinners yes ma'am yep so uh for the first four or five months during covid we were we were every thursday i'm sorry the last thursday of every month we were doing a, a chef dinner or a winery dinner um with the backlog of weddings we've kind of paused that for the summer a little bit but we're, we're starting to game plan what we're going to do in the fall um so we're we're really excited to be bringing those back to property um we're talking to a number of people um all around virginia but also also around the country and, and seeing who wants to come up and, and participate in some of these dinners some of them will be you know mentors for me um or just you know people in the region that are doing really amazing things with food that we want to you know help show help share their story and, and have some fun as well what about like cooking classes things of that nature i mean you know there's always been such a food focus at that property you know like there's the ownership has always really focused on the food there yes um cooking classes are something we're doing every saturday currently i actually have one that starts in about an hour and 15 minutes um so this upcoming tuesday is national lobster day and you know after spending six years on cape cod and growing up in massachusetts as a whole we're uh, we're going to celebrate that so we're going to be teaching people how to do a kind of a classic new england style clam bake um so you got about 15 people coming in for that class and it's going to be a lot of fun so we're trying to find different themes whether it's you know outdoor wood fire pizzas um two weeks ago i took everybody down to the garden they were cutting their own lettuces and herbs and, and things like that we had a family of uh, 15 come in and so we did a class for them um and so you know really the sky's the limit um so, it could be handmade pasta we're just we're having fun and, and kind of seeing where inspiration strikes all right i gotta know where in massachusetts okay. uh central mass about 35 minutes outside of boston okay so, well Hudson. because you obviously picked up that yes ma'am at sea island 
that is the truth. Yeah. <laughs> ten, 10 years in the South. We, we just tried year. to get a room there. You can't, they are booked solid for the next couple of months. Back to the interview, please. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, for people interested in cooking classes. Um, do you have to stay on property for that? Is it a package deal? How does that work? You do. You do not have to stay on property. They they are open to the public. Um, so we we have space. We have do have a cooking studio that is adjacent to the kitchen. Um, but you know, as it gets nicer outside, we're going to be start we're going to start doing things outdoors in the garden. So we've got two big green eggs. We're we're going to do a lot more outdoor cooking and things like that. And so um, right now, I would say we can do between ten to twenty five people. Um, I think that's that's kind of a comfortable number where everybody will be able to see. Um, and the more the more we scale up, the more demo ish it becomes. But if it's smaller and more intimate, um, we can get people hands on experience and and really kind of get into that actual cooking aspect where they get to to do some of those things. I love that. And so since you this you're only been in the area for a year, what do you think was your sort of biggest surprise about what was available to you? being in the mid-Atlantic, like being in this region, were you surprised? Was there something that you were like, oh my God, I had no idea that this would be an ingredient that would be so important. Uh, I did not realize how much beef was in this area. And I, you know, I was, I was cold calling local cattle farmers and, and things like that, just trying to, you know, get in there and taste what they were growing and see the differences between everybody and, you know, figure out how to incorporate those into the menu. You know, that's funny um, because so, everybody thinks Washington's so full of BS that I... <laughs> I'm just shocked. Well, Bill, thank you so much for joining us today. We can't wait to get out there and see what you're doing. Um, can you tell everybody where they can find you, please? Absolutely. We're at the Salamander Resort and Spa, 500 North Pendleton Street in Middleburg, Virginia. Um, we have two main restaurants. It's the Harriman's Virginia Piedmont Grill and Gold Cup Wine Bar. But obviously being in a resort, we have in-room dining. We have the Market Salamander in downtown Middleburg um, and you know a variety of other options on property. So we would, we would love to have everybody come and join us. Excellent. Thanks so much. This is David and Nikki Nellis, Booty and the Beast. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about some Michelin star dining in D.C. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, and Nikki knows that uh, one of my fantasies has been to wash her hands in warm chocolate uh, <laughs> all my life, and I never thought I would get to live out that fantasy until we dined. We had the most incredible meal at uh, El Cielo, which is Spanish for heaven, uh, down at Union Market. And we are fortunate to have Sebastian Moreno Anau, who is the uh, corporate uh, chef of the El Cielo group here in the US, on the phone with us and on, on uh, whatever this is, Ring Central. Sebastian, how are you? Hi, Chef. Hi, uh, hi how are you? We <laughs> had a meal to um, kill. Excuse me, I, I'm going to amend what you said because it is in the Union Market District. Well, it lost, it's Coseca. not in Union Market and okay. it's in the La Coseca Market. It's at La Coseca at Union Market. Okay. Oh, so technical. Well, you don't want to send people to Union Market and then being like, where is this place? It's not like they're not going to find it. All right. So you know how they're going to find it? Because of the crowds out front. Right. So Sebastian, um, why don't you, if you would, please give us a little bit about your background and about uh, the LCLO operations. And you have restaurants in Colombia, you have one in Miami, you have one here, and I believe you have a hotel too, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, Tell us a little about that. Well, in um my name is Sebastian, and I'm 29 years old. I'm corporate chef of the restaurant for uh, the past six years. I've been in the, in the company. Uh, we are a Colombian uh, hospitality group that has uh, restaurants, as you said, in Medellin, Bogota, Miami, and D.C. as uh, the brand El Cielo. 
but we also have different brands uh, that we would like to uh, bring to the U.S. Uh, we have a Mexican brand, uh, Italian brand, vegan brand, Asian wow. brand. Oh. Uh, we also do catering. Uh, we just opened a hotel in Medellin. And well, it's been 14 years of work uh, since uh, El Cielo started uh, back in 2007 in Medellin. You're busy people. So did it yeah. all start with this concept in Colombia? Yes, yes. It's, this, con this concept uh, opened in 2007 uh, in Medellin, then uh, uh, expand to Bogotá, the capital of, the, of Colombia. Mm -hmm. And uh, in 2015, we we bring the we, we brought sorry the the company to the U.S. Uh, with the first El uh, Cielo in the U.S. in Miami. Okay, so let's for people who haven't. I mean, you haven't been in the D.C. market that long. You guys opened like right before the pandemic, right? Yes, we right? we came we came uh, in September 2019. Right. Uh, La Cotecha. Uh, the restaurant wasn't uh, built yet, so we started with a pop-up uh, in La Cotecha. Mm -hmm. uh, then the pandemic happened. We had to go to Colombia, and uh, we came last September to D.C., September 2020. Mm -hmm. And since then, uh, we opened the restaurant officially, and well, it's been uh, uh, six crazy months till now. Yeah, your timing That's is excellent. <laughs> So for people, so since, you know, it hasn't been open that long, you did get a Michelin star. We have to say that, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, can we talk about the concept? Because, you know, in the last 20 years, DC dining has had a lot of pendulum swings. And one of the things that DC dining has really changed is how it looks at formal fine dining. And mm -hmm. you guys are one of the very few restaurants in the DC area. I mean, I can think of I think I can name five that are doing these very extravagant, very interesting tasting menus that are not, but they're not like effete little just tweezer food that you leave mm -hmm. hungry. The, I mean, we were full. It's a, it's a meal. I'm still but, digesting. But there's all these fabulous components. So can you walk us through the concept so that people have a better understanding of it? Well, it's cool that people, that people in DC uh, think this is, new for them because we've been doing this for the past 14 years mm -hmm. uh, so it, it's nice that our work that always have done uh, it's uh, very important for DC people and it's new and it's uh, a whole experience for, for the people here uh, what we basically do is to bring our Colombian roots our Colombian flair our Colombian culture and uh, mix it with the local ingredients and uh, and uh, fun and creativity uh, to bring a whole experience around food. And yeah, basically that. You know what, can we, okay, go well, ahead. hold on a sec. Can we talk about some of the individual dishes? We had, I think we had 19 courses. We had a crazy meal, but some of the individual dishes were you actually, it uh, was a lot where you've used <laughs> local ingredients and sort of combine them with your, a Colombian flair. I mean, let's talk about some of the food specifically because it was amazing. Well, for example, the yuca gnocchi. The yuca gnocchi are an oh. uh, international dish, uh, but we change it and we mix the Colombian culture. We change the traditional potato for yuca that is very important in our cuisine. So we make the, the, the gnocchi out of yuca. We put some sweet plantain honey 
the plantain is one of the uh, ingredients that Colombians export the most to the world. Mm. Export the most, the most to the world. Uh, so sweet plantain honey, and we mix it with a local ingredient, shiitake, Appalachian cheese. That is a local cheese uh, from Virginia, and also uh, some summer truffles. So, so good. that's what we do. We 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 think global, but we act local. It's funny that you mentioned the the yuca gnocchi because we were like, oh my god, this is awesome! All right, why do we wash our hands in liquid chocolate? You got to talk about that too, because that is a special treat. Well, we don't we don't want people to be in, like too fancy in our restaurants. We we want them to have fun and to enjoy and to do something crazy. As, as Latins, we are uh, we're very happy and uh, excited about everything. So that's what we want to transmit to the people: just to have fun and enjoy, it and don't fun. think it is in a it is a restaurant that where you have to be very tight. No, you have to relax. So the choco therapy is one of those dishes that uh, takes people out of the box and uh, let them know that. They are not in a in a traditional fine dining place. But I think I think that um, there's so much whimsy in all the dishes, right? Like mm -hmm. the plating is very whimsical. There's lots of uh, platters and uh, and presentations that you know that are are fun and and are supposed mm -hmm. to evoke um, you know smiles, right? Like yeah. it's not a somber experience. You know, it's no. a celebration. It's fun. Um, can we talk I, about your coffee program? Because there is a real commitment to your coffee and to the mm -hmm. pouring of the coffee, um, which I found really fascinating. Well, um, coffee is it's one of the things and the, the ingredients that represent the, the most and, and very well uh, at Colombian. And of course, we want to show the world the good things we have. Uh, people used to know Colombia as a very violent and, and very hard place to, to be at. Mm -hmm. But Colombia has, it's one of the most biodiverse countries in the world. It has lots of weather. Uh, the people is nice. The people is uh, happy all the time. So we want to show our through the coffee that it's the the main thing we, we can show right now, um, we want to show them the good things in, in, in coffee, like the wine for us. Uh, so we, we like to, to show people um, all the, the, the good things around coffee and we make an experience out of it. Uh, that is the, the coffee feel at the end of the, of the meal. Well, I mean, I'm not a coffee drinker, um, not mm -hmm. because I don't like it, I just, choose not to drink coffee but I drank the coffee that night and it was it, it was so it was so yummy and it did not keep me up which I was kind of surprised um because I don't drink that much caffeine uh, so when we were in which is about six weeks ago you guys were still doing a la carte yeah maybe it was two months ago so but my understanding is that you're no longer doing that now no uh fortunately for us uh well, we don't have to right now. The, after the Michelin star, uh, the books went up and uh, everyone were talking about the, the experience and uh, the fine dining experience we, we, we offer here. So the fine dining 
actually ate the a la carte experience and right now we only have the the, the experience in right now right. that is amazing to me so because we did the tasting room in the back so now mm -hmm. all the tables are doing the yes. tasting menu yes uh, the el cielo always have done a uh, experience and fine dining in all the restaurants and uh, in the pandemic uh, we were open in a new city it was very hard for us uh, the industry was very hurt and we had to 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 look for chances to survive and and, and to show people that we were new and we wanted to 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 people to come to our restaurant. So we, we did offer a, a, a la carte option, brunch and uh, different things. Uh, even though we we also made the um, deliveries. Right, uh, all new, right? All new for you? Yeah. And uh, oh. right now, well, after the start and, the, and, and now the, that the things are okay and going up, well, mm -hmm. we are as well. Well, congratulations. Um, Thank you so much. We, we feel very fortunate that we were able to have the experience. Um, and what I think is amazing, I, I got to give it to the Edens Group because you know where your property is used to be nothing but warehouses, mm -hmm. and now there's not one, but there's two Michelin star restaurants right. within a block of each other, which is. Uh, it's just the DC dining scene continues to um, amaze me every day. So congratulations. Uh, for well, all wait, before we let Sebastian go, Sebastian, I just want to place a delivery order for the salt-crusted uh, Bronzino. Just no, no, no. a la carte. A la carte. Uh, Sebastian, tell everybody, please, where they can find this restaurant, where they can find you online. Well, um, we are in the, as you said, in the, in the, Norma District, in Union Market District, uh, in a place, it's a Latin market that are open, it's called La Cosecha. Uh, the address is uh, 1280 4th Street Northeast, mm -hmm. just in the corner. Uh, and we will be very happy to have everyone that wanted to, that want to experience the uh, Colombian culture and cuisine with us. Excellent, thank you, Chef. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, guys. Bye. Well, again, we had another amazing episode of Foodie and the Beast. We want to thank you all for joining us. Uh, we're going to be back in studio in July. We cannot wait. Uh, but we do want to thank you all and thank all of our guests for joining us today. Remember, Father's Day is coming up. You need to go to the list or you want it.com to find out about everything happening in the DC food and wine scene, like all the things we talked about today. Please follow me at Nikki Nellis, N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And uh, what else? It's we're back. <laughs> Hopefully you're vaccinated. If you're not, please do so because the DC dining scene is exploding. Uh, be safe out there and please have a delicious week.